Everybody has an ideology. Everybody sees the world in a certain way and has an idea of how the world should be and maybe how the world is. And everybody needs the good news because gospel means what? Good news. And good news shapes how we view the world and see things. So we all have a mindset, a perspective, and we who have confessed in Jesus have believed and received the good news. Fundamentally, there is good news in Christ Jesus. Now today, I want to continue to build on the good news about the third day, that is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, and how that shapes our understanding of the world, how we see the world as people who believe in the resurrection. And if you have your Bibles, I'm in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting with verse 4 today. The scripture says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in the scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. The word chosen is used three times in this text. You probably caught that. You are a chosen people. Before that, it talked about Jesus as God's chosen one. In fact, the word chosen is used to describe Jesus over and over again. Jesus is God's fundamental choice. 
We know that, Paul says, because he was declared to be the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. So it is his resurrection that declares him to be God's chosen one. God already knew he was his chosen one. Peter here declares that God chose him. But it's clarified to us that God chose Jesus through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Jesus is God's fundamental choice. Prior to all other choices, prior to other, all other election and calling, Jesus was called by the Father before time began. He is the fundamental choice. Now, Peter declared this in that famous confession. Jesus said, who do you say I am? And Peter said, you are the Son of God. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, well, flesh and blood hadn't revealed that to you, Peter, but my Father, which is in heaven. So Peter said something that was divine. It was divine information revealed by the Father that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Everybody in Israel knew the Messiah was the chosen one. In fact, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, as they made fun of him, they went by the cross where he was dying and said, let him save himself if he is the Messiah, God's chosen one. They actually used the words at the foot of the cross to describe who he should be and come down from the cross if he is indeed the Messiah, God's chosen one. Peter understood that Jesus was chosen in some way, but it wasn't shaping his world yet, and that happens too. There may be people in this room who confess that Jesus is God's chosen one, but it hasn't really changed the way you live and the way you think yet. Maybe, unlike John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace and said, once I was blind, but now I see. Maybe you're still blind to all the truth that is in Christ as God's chosen one. For John Newton, it was a dramatic change of life to receive and believe the good news that Jesus would save even him, a former slave trader. It dramatically changed his life. That's why was blind, but now I see. That was his testimony. But there are people still who confess that Jesus is God's chosen one, but they haven't had a life change and a mind change about and through that fact. See, Peter didn't really internalize what it meant for Jesus to be God's chosen one. It's why he ran away on the night he was betrayed. In that first day, the day of the crucifixion, and the second day, the day of Jesus in the tomb, Peter was in the doldrums, and all of them were. Although they thought he was the chosen one, now they wondered and they were confused. It is only on the third day 
when they run to the tomb and find it open, that it begins to dawn on Peter and the other disciples what this actually means for Jesus to be God's chosen one. It's not simply a parochial truth that applies to the Jewish people. It's not simply a political truth that applies to military might in Israel. It is a universal truth that the Creator God has broken into human history by sending His Son, Jesus. He is the Chosen One. He is dead, buried, risen from the dead, and now everything is different. And Peter is writing in the light of that third day. He's thinking in the light of that third day. He has adjusted his worldview, his ideology, to conform to the good news that the grave is empty and Jesus is alive, never to die again. Brady and I were walking out of a school program uh, just this week. It was on Friday, I think. Brady's about this tall. He's, he's four still. And we went by the statue of Jesus on the cross, and he, he's, you know, he said, uh, who's that? And I said, that's Jesus on the cross. And he said, he's dead. And I said, well, Brady, he died. You're right. But then he rose again from the dead, all right? So Jesus is not hanging on a cross anymore. He's alive forevermore. See, that's, that's the truth that transforms everything. That Jesus died on the cross would never have been world-changing news if he hadn't on the third day risen from the dead. And it's not really world-changing news for you until you receive it. You may be still living in a perspective that was shaped by people who didn't care for you or, or love you, maybe a, a perspective shaped by things that happened in your childhood, and you're seeing the world from that perspective, and you suppose that your perspective on the world, maybe it's dark, is factual. You build it on facts, but actually you build it on experiences, and you build it on feelings, feelings and experiences that happened to you maybe before you were even conscious of your own existence. And certainly before you could have articulated them. In your preschool years, things happen to you, and that shapes your personality, how you see the world. And you're living in this perspective, this ideology. The resurrection of Jesus intends to change that. The good news of Jesus Christ intends to be applied to how you think about the world. And it is good news that is at the center of the resurrection perspective. If you're living in the third day, you're living in good news. Despite all the bad news that happens in the world, and there's a lot of it, you, my friend, live with good news. Jesus is God's fundamental choice. That means good news is the fundamental way we see the world. And we are chosen in him. You are a holy priesthood making spiritual offerings acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. See, everything happens through Jesus Christ. 
In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says this. I think it is a delightful scripture. God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. You see, everything about your election, your chosenness, is in Jesus. Jesus is God's fundamental choice, and you are a chosen people because God chose Jesus. And Jesus is the one who, from the beginning, was God's chosen one. And it is God's intention and purpose that all who trust in Christ, all who receive him, will be empowered to be his children. We are chosen in him. We are people who believe that all things come to their conclusion in Christ, that all things hold together in Christ. You say, well, that's a strange perspective. <laughs> that's just, just different than what I learned. Well, the third day, the resurrection of Jesus changes how you view the world. And we are folks who believe the fundamental truth of all that there is is Jesus Christ crucified, buried, and risen again. The scripture teaches that we are chosen because we have trusted in Christ. We have not rejected him as the rulers did, but received him. We are not among the people who have rejected the cornerstone. But we have received Christ. His own did not receive him, but we have received him. The sacrifice of Christ was acceptable to God because he was the perfect lamb. Our sacrifices, our spiritual offerings are acceptable to God because we are in Christ. Christ is our legitimacy. And his being chosen is preceding everything about us being chosen and being a holy nation and a royal priesthood. Not one of us can fathom the relationship between God's sovereignty and man's choice. Jesus says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Peter says here, as we come to him, the living stone. So come on to Jesus. If you've never come to Jesus, just come to Jesus. He, he invites us. And his, his preachers continue in, to invite people. Hey, come to Jesus. If, if you need a Savior and everybody does, come to Jesus. If you want a new way of looking at the world, come to Jesus. If you feel like you've gotten lost in the darkness, come to Jesus. He has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're declaring his praises because of that. So... I don't know how we fathom, we hold in tension the sovereignty of God, that God is providential creator and he is sovereign over all, and the choices people make. And we can't really work that out. Sometimes we feel like they're just not compatible. You could talk about it every Bible study that you have, you know, from now on. Christians been talking about it for 2,000 years. You say, well, how do I work out the sovereignty of God and the choices of man? Number one, 
Jesus is God's fundamental choice. Number two, we are chosen in him. Our chosenness comes from him. All of our credentials come from him. We do not have any credentials before God that do not come from Jesus Christ. He is the one. And because he is God's elected and chosen one, we who trust in him are elected and chosen as well. When you are in him, then you are part of the chosen people. And everything, all the special things that you enjoy are predicated upon God choosing Jesus as his fundamental choice. Now, being chosen means being holy. There are people who want to separate these two and say, you know, you can be one of God's chosen, one of his people, and still not be holy. Uh uh. Uh uh. You are a chosen people, and the next thing says, a holy nation. Right? You're a royal priesthood. These things are describing you. You're a chosen people. You're a holy priesthood, according to an earlier verse. You're a holy nation. You're God's special possession. That's who you are. And to be chosen is to be holy, not because of your behavior, but because God has set you apart for himself. Everybody in here is a saint if they've trusted Jesus as Savior. Right? So put on your sainthood right now. Okay? Put on your sainthood. You're a saint. Let me tell you something else about you. You're a priest. If the words have ever escaped your lips, well, preachers shouldn't act like that. Or you would think better things of ministers than that. I want you to know those words come right back on you. You know, in the Scripture, in the New Testament, the word priest is never used to refer to leaders in the church. Did you know that? That the word priest is used almost a thousand times in the Bible and not once is it used to talk about church leadership. The word poimen is used, which means shepherd or pastor. The word episkopos is used, which means overseer or bishop. The word presbuteros means elder. Those three words are used to describe church leadership along with diakonos, which is deacon. But the New Testament never uses, not even once, the word priest to describe a church leader. So where are the priests? There the priests are. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy priesthood. When Jesus died on the cross, God reached down from heaven, and Matthew says the veil between the holy place and the most holy place, the holy of holies, where the ark of the covenant and the mercy seat were supposed to have been kept, the veil was torn from top to bottom. 
God opened up the most holy place in the whole universe with the death of Jesus so that anybody can go in there. And so the scripture says, you are a priest. And you perform priestly functions in this world. You say, well, I don't remember performing any priestly functions. Look, when you go out into New Orleans, Metairie, Kenner, West Bank, and all these places tomorrow morning, you represent God among people. Maybe you're backing up saying, I don't want that responsibility. It doesn't matter whether you want it or not. You got it when you received Jesus as Savior to be chosen. Being chosen is and means being holy. Be ye holy, for I am holy. And your holiness is both the position that God has separated you unto himself and you are his very special possession. That's what holiness means. And holiness also works out on a daily basis as you are not conformed to this world, but you are transformed by the truth of the resurrection. You're living in a third day. Your mind has changed. Your thinking has changed. And you go out into the world and you represent the good news perspective in a world that needs good news. And I don't want you to backpedal from that because the most necessary thing in the lives of the people at work and at school and in your family are that they might know this good news buried with bad news day after day. If they could just hear the good news, it would so change their life. You represent God before men. That's what priests do. And everything you do in word and in deed, is to be conformed to the image of Christ. It's to come under his lordship so that the words you speak and the deeds you do out there in the world faithfully represent the Father. That's your priestly function in the world. I am one of the priests. You are one of the priests too. This is how the word is used. We have the same problem with the word saint. I remember seeking to be a Jesus person when I was in middle school. I was like in eighth grade, okay? And we had this Bible study group, and, and I was trying to tell my friends about the good news now and then, and so I got branded, you know. And they all invited me to join them in some wrong thing they were going to do. I don't remember what it was right now. And I turned them down. And one of my friends pulled me aside. And he said to me, David, you're not a saint. And he was rebuking me, saying, you're not a saint. Well, I knew enough of the Bible to tell him, I think I am. I think I am a saint. And I think if you believe in Jesus, you're a saint to all the saints. We have saints and we have priests sitting in these pews. This is the new day, people. The church of Jesus Christ is not the old Judaism. It is the empowering of masses of people to carry the good news of Jesus Christ to every place they go. We even had a member in Dubai yesterday. I ate two figs before, during Sunday school that were brought from Dubai yesterday. 
God takes his congregation, he just scatters us, not only all over the toe of Louisiana, but literally all over the world. And the church of Jesus Christ and the strategy of the Holy Spirit is that every brother and sister is empowered by the Spirit to carry the gospel and carry the good news to every place they go so that it's not just up to the missionary, it's you. It's you, and you cannot refuse this role as part of the chosen people of God. You'll either do it poorly or do it well, but you're doing it every day that you live. So the scripture says, Jesus is God's fundamental choice, and he was holy. He never committed sin. He was the perfect, unblemished lamb of God. We come under his perfection as we trust in him as savior and god forgives us because of what the lamb of god paid on the cross for us and now in the world being chosen we are also being holy saints and priests delivering the good news to all who are around us it is a wonderful privilege it is a great calling it happens to you every day. When you get out of bed and you put your feet on the ground, you say, Lord, I know I am a saint and a priest, and today I want to live this out in my life. Bow with me, please. If you've never trusted Jesus as Savior, what a great moment to say, Jesus, I need you. I believe you died and rose again from the dead. I know I'm a sinner and I want you in my life. Please forgive me. I give you my heart. Would you just say that prayer of surrender and confession unto God? God will hear you. Have faith to know that he will keep his word. Come to me, Jesus said. I will give you rest. Lord, thank you for the invitation to come to you. Thank you when we come, that we come through the narrow gate, Jesus himself, no longer on the broad way, the way to destruction, but now on the narrow way, the way of life. God, thank you that you call us to be your own, that you empower each of us to represent you in the world, to share the good news. God, help us do it fully and powerfully in this city that so needs you that needs the good news of the gospel the perspective of the third day help us be faithful in Jesus name Amen